did this ourselves. They're coming. It can't be. Where is everyone? Hey, survivors, Makeshift here. And on today's episode of the Apocalypse Postcast, a podcast, we're going to be reviewing Netflix's newest post-apocalyptic offering. It's a fantasy sci-fi dystopian lore salad called Tribes of Europa. And we're going to let you know if this one is rad or just bad. To help me along this eroded road today is the Swede with the Wasteland Communication Corps. Uh, corporation. What? <laughs> we're the Wasteland <laughs> Communication Corporation, no matter how many times you and Jared both say Communication Corps. <laughs> but but isn't it shortened to Corps? Uh, no, it's shortened to Corp. Corp. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Just I, like in you know every sci-fi show you've ever watched. <laughs> the, the fact that Core uh, is pronounced not how it's spelled, I think, throws us all off. Yeah, I think it does. Yeah. Okay, so Keep the wasteland communication. Messing up our language. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Darn French. I'm a little bit French, so you can blame me. Okay, yeah. that's That sounds fair. But I'm only taking one quarter of the blame because I'm only a quarter French. <laughs> I also want to know, uh, would it be okay if we consider the show rad and bad? Just like, I'm not saying it is. I just want to, does it have to be either? God, I mean, you know, if you want to go like the one thumbs up, one thumbs down route, okay. But I'm, <laughs> I'm going to try to make you be a little bit more decisive. All right, fine. <laughs> so, uh, Sweet, what makes us authorities in movie reviews? Oh, we are not. And, we uh, are neither why of should... those things. <laughs> and why should anyone care what we think? No one should care what we think. Yeah. Okay. That's just to say that we're just going to be two fans talking about our thoughts and opinions. If yeah. yours differ out there, that's cool too. Just leave them in the comments. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Netflix is not paying me to good mouth or bad mouth the show and neither oh, is makeshift. That's a really good disclaimer. That's very corporate of you. Yeah. We're good at that. Did your uh, Swedish legal department tell you to say that? Uh, they didn't even have to. <laughs> it's been so <laughs> drilled into us at the WCC over the years. <laughs> Um, all right, so let's, I'm going to start out by saying, well, let's do a short, like no spoiler section and then okay. we'll stop and do a warning and then it'll be free reign from there. Okay. That way we can let the listeners know if they want to go watch the show, go watch it and come back and kind of, and then, yeah, then feel. listen to the rest of the discussion. <laughs> <Super> yeah. <full> <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You can decide if you want to come back and listen or not. Yeah. Um, all right, so for this show, The Tribes of Europa, uh, here's a quick summary. This comes kind of uh, a mishmash from IMDb. The year is 2074, 45 years after a global catastrophe causes Europe to fracture into dystopian warring tribal, tribal microstates. That's a, a word salad, isn't it? Who vie for dominance over the other states. Three siblings from the peaceful Origini tribe get caught up in the conflict when they come into possession of a mysterious cube. And I think that's a pretty fair, uh, fair summary. That that's like, a pretty fair summary. I, yeah, I feel um, like it only talks a little bit about the setup and very little about the show. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's like that's the prim- <laughs> like you find out all of that in like the first minute of the show. Oh yeah, basically with the the titles that come on screen. <laughs> yeah, there's <laughs> that, there's that, some that, opening narration there that is just like, yep, here's the setup. Yeah, um, I I think um, let's see. And did you watch the trailer that I sent you? I did. Yeah, it, it was actually the teaser, so it was it was even way less information than the trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, what were your initial thoughts when you saw that? My initial thoughts, I think, were that this was going to be really predictable. Uh huh. And 
without spoiling anything, I, I think it was. I personally don't mind predictable television. I'm, you know, it makes me feel smart. I'm like, haha, I got it. Uh, if you don't like predictable TV, maybe that's going to be like a bit of an annoyance. And I, I felt that already from the teaser. And then when I started watching the show, I was like, oh yeah, this is exactly what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, when I saw the teaser, you know, you start to see some of these like post-apocalypse, oops, post-apocalypse themes happening. Um, and there is some like alien-esque technology. So sometimes when things go too sci-fi techno in a post-apocalypse film, it kind of loses my interest a little bit. Sure. But this one was really intriguing because I love when stories have just a little bit of magic and I don't Uh like, like true blood. Um, True blood was about vampires season one. Right. But then by season two, they added werewolves and by season three, four, five, we're talking witches, fey folk, um, just, and anything there were no rules in full anymore. world of darkness yeah <laughs> exactly but that first season when the vampires were that little bit of magic i felt like the show stayed grounded yeah it wasn't like too wild and it feels less fantasy and more like okay this is kind of a plausible thing that like maybe humanity just doesn't know about it's like letting you in yeah it's, it, it's kind of the thing that x-files had in the beginning where it was plausible to the point of like oh yeah this this could totally be a thing and then you know as the seasons progress and they have to keep adding wilder and wilder crazy things it just becomes like okay this is lord of the rings now yeah so i so i like that that there's all these tribes that are living together in a post-apocalyptic lack of technology world but somewhere out there somebody has like this higher technology i think that's cool yeah uh agreed and it didn't feel Uh, like the technology was like super off kilter for being, you know, the 2070s or wherever we're supposed to be set. Yeah, exactly. It it was definitely today's technology plus just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I Um, I personally like my, I'm, I'm a little bit, I I don't want to say tired of it because that's not it, but I, I feel like the apocalypse happened in the eighties is a little bit done. (laughs) Like I, I enjoy the concept of, of there's a post-apocalypse with all the tropes that come with that, but mm-hmm. it didn't happen like in the past. It happened in the future. So technology might've gotten like a little bit further than where we're at before everything collapsed. Yeah. That's really interesting. Cause, um, all right. So the eighties were like pre internet, pre mass communication. Uh, and so for you to, to frame the post-apocalypse around that you immediately take away, you know, any kind of worldwide communication that with any kind of effectiveness. Um, and it kind of happens the same way with horror movies. A lot of the best ones take place before cell phones, because if you had a cell phone in a horror right. movie, uh, solved. <laughs> it's, it's like the transporter problem in, in Star Trek, where as soon as you have invented the transporter, you have to invent for every episode, a reason why the transporter doesn't work because otherwise your episode's going to get real boring when everyone can just transport out of whatever situation you're in. Yeah. That's really like good every point. episode of Star Trek TNG starts with like why the transporter doesn't work in this episode. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a magnetic disturbance. <laughs> okay. Um, and the post-apocalypse is that fix, right? You, you kind of fix it and you gloss over the fact that we still have communication satellites that work just fine today that were launched in the sixties. Right. <laughs> like they're 60 true. They, years they'll old. They'll never they run out of power. <laughs> right. They're, they're just fine. I can use them with a handheld radio. Like 
Gloss uh-huh. over. We can just say everyone who knew about that died. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the technology for like generating localized power is going nowhere, no matter how bad things get. Right. So, it, it's one yeah. of the things that, that felt weird to me. Um, obviously, I'm in the Wasteland Communication Corporation. We started off as a ham radio club. Australia uh-huh. is a huge country for ham radio because they have lots of people living in the middle of nowhere with no infrastructure. And seeing them use the heliograph in Mad Max Fury Road, where they're reflecting sunlight to talk between um, Gastown or, no, the Bullet Farm and the Citadel. They were shooting right. light beams between each other. That's super cool and works just fine. But, like, you have cars, so you obviously have 12-volt power. You're in Australia, <laughs> a country full of ham radios. You could just talk to them if you wanted to. Or a, at least easy. a good chance of there being a CB. <laughs> it's the right. same thing. Like, it's so easy. And, like, you can build one of these. Like, if you have the ability to build new cars, like, building a communications uh-huh. radio is pretty easy. <laughs> Compared to, like, an engine from scratch. Right. That's that's a really good point. Yeah, when, like you, you have a when you're talking iron, about, you're like... pretty much set. <laughs> Okay, so a couple other thoughts that I had watching before you watch the show on, in the right. trailer, um, the production value looked awesome. Oh, yeah. um, especially set up TV show. Yeah, right. This was like, like B movie level, <laughs> and I'm not I'm yeah. not dissing B movies there. It's like it's very impressive for a TV show. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when it's coming out of Germany, who's only just now really getting back into the world stage of cinema. At yeah, least that's what I, I read I mean, on an German- article online. <laughs> you're not wrong the okay I, I, germany has had a tradition um for a very long time uh, they they have just enough of a population where they can afford to dub stuff uh-huh. so when when you tune in to watch to just go back to star trek the next generation when you tune in to watch that in germany it's in german so when they make movies okay. and tv they tend to make it in german it's not really needed to be for export because there's enough people to consume uh-huh. their media locally. So we haven't been getting in the U S a lot of German media because it's all in German and no one wants to, no one likes it enough to like dub it or subtitle it. And Americans <laughs> don't like watching stuff with subtitles anyway. That's so true. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like thanks to Netflix, I'm finally getting used to it with shows like, um, money heist out of Spain and, uh, mm-hmm. another German show called dark, which, um, also, it's post-apocalyptic. Yeah, same the same production company. One, yeah. took, and a couple, uh-huh, couple which actors I saw in there that looked a little familiar. Yeah, yeah I definitely recognize Oliver Masucci, who is Ulrich in Dark. Um, yes. He plays Moses in Tribes. Um, and he also played uh, Hitler that one time. In what? In, uh, I think the English title was Look Who's Back. <laughs> it was like a time travel <laughs> adventure where Hitler comes back to modern day Germany. Uh-huh. And has to understand what selfies are. It was an abs- It's a surreal weirdness ride that is definitely worth catching. And he plays Hitler. Oh my gosh. I'm going to have to look this one up because um, I loved his character, Ulrich. It's really dark, brooding, kind of internalized. Um, and now with... A, his- one of those characters you really like not liking. Yeah, exactly. Just like a bad person and you like, oh yeah, he's going to get it. Yeah, and then as Moses in Tribes, um, he's hysterical. Yeah, it was it was fun to get to see, and because I'd seen him before, I knew that you know Ulrich he wasn't being typecast as 
like a uh-huh. shitty person. He's <laughs> like he's a funny guy and a talented actor. So it was mm. fun to get to see him kind of stretch his his funny chops again. Yeah, so great. But uh, but yeah, I I really enjoy that Netflix keeps bringing us more and more stuff from around the world. Um, I think it's really important for us as Americans to get to see that there is other <laughs> stuff out there. Because uh, growing up, you know, I, I maybe saw one or two international films um, before I was 25, you know, and that yeah. was unfortunate. I mean, the U.S. puts out a lot of really high quality entertainment. Like I yeah. saw lots of foreign films growing up, but that's because I was watching American films. <laughs> <laughs> and they were the foreign films. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So you watched the show you mentioned uh, before we started recording. You, you watched this in English. Oh yeah. So, um, the show is in German. I think that's actually a bilingual show, right? They have a lot of English lines. If I, uh, that was actually one of the things that I had that I felt was a little weird. Uh, all of the names for these different tribes are in English. Mm-hmm. We've got the crows, we got the crimsons, we got the origines, which isn't like yeah. an English name, but they say it in English. They pronounce yeah. it as if it's in English. Right. Um, and in German, that sounds kind of cool. That's like a thing where <laughs> oh, okay. you know, a gang name in English sounds cooler than the same gang name in Germany. It's okay. It's a little bit like how uh, Rammstein sounds way cooler because they're singing in German. Where like uh-huh. if they were singing the things they're singing in English, we wouldn't think it was cool <laughs> because the things they sing about are frequently really stupid. I do remember. Um, I remember translating. What is it? Um, you, you hate, you hate me, you know? And it was like, and, th- and oh, that's, that's kind of wordplay that doesn't even work in English. Is that right? Oh yeah. yeah. Because there's no difference in pronunciation between the word hast and hast, uh, uh-huh. which would be hate or have. Oh, okay. They're spelled different, but they, there's no pronunciation difference. So when it, when he says like, you have me or you hate me, that could, that's like a dichotomy there. And interesting. The, the you and you hate or you have it's yeah. There's, and, Ramstein does a lot of that. There's a lot of really fun wordplay in their songs that kind of gets lost when you translate it. Um, gotcha. And and there was some of that in this show too. So I was wondering what it was like in English because in German it was good, but it was also like a little weird that suddenly all these German speaking people are deciding that all their gang names need to be in English. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. So I watched it with the English dubs because I was having a hard time keeping up with the subtitles and taking notes. I took a lot of notes on this. Um, And so I, 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 you know, I I was never a great typer. So I have to look at my screen while I'm typing. Um, So yeah, just having it in English helped me out a little bit. I wanted to watch it in German and, and and be able to read the subtitles because I know that they do a bunch of stuff with, um, with, with, certain characters speak in English. And then I don't know if there's a, a word for j- jinglish, like Spanglish <laughs> where they're kind Why of bouncing not? back and forth. Did that happen? Um, well, there was some lines that, I mean, there's parts of the show where they just start speaking English and it's, it becomes very clear that the, the location they're in that they refer to as, as Europa, which also was weird because that's not how you pronounce that in German. <laughs> how would you pronounce it in German? Uh, Europa. Okay. Yeah. But they say Europa, like specifically like the English pronunciation oh, of interesting. Europa, but Europa, which is, yeah. was very interesting. Um, but it becomes very clear that there are, that these different tribes, et cetera, 
have people who have come together from different parts of Europe, and obviously Europe is multilingual already. Um, uh-huh. So there was, you know, some people were clearly of Dutch ancestry, and there were people who spoke English to each other, and there was someone who seemed mm-hmm. like he would have been of North African ancestry, and it's not clear if, you know, his tribe came uh-huh. over before the collapse or after, but it was interesting mm-hmm. to see the the language mixing there a little bit where they just switch languages back and forth. And it seems like in the show, everyone knows enough of these various languages to switch back and forth kind of fluently, which is that was the case in a lot of Germany gotcha. uh, and in a lot of Europe, actually, uh, going back to like the 1700s or 1600s where traders, for example, would have to speak. If you were in Sweden and you were trading back then, you'd have to be able to speak at least French and German in addition to, mm-hmm. to Swedish. Um, right. and it seems like that's right. kind of come back a little bit, where well, you just have all these people coming and going, speaking different languages, and everyone kind of picks up what they can. Yeah, it was really neat. I, I, there was definitely a lot of pulls towards um, like the way Europe used to be with a lot smaller city states, a lot more tribalism before the major countries of Europe formed only pretty recently when you look at a European map. Um, Oh yeah. And I thought that was pretty neat how it just, it was literally like a backtrace to an older Europe. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if, if I don't know how long the show was in production, but Mm -hmm. it felt like they were playing up the Brexit thing quite a bit that the there's a scene and I don't think this is a spoiler (laughs) considering (laughs) what we've been through so far. There's a Uh scene where one of the characters is looking at newspaper clippings of like that are old for him that happened during Uh the collapse. Um, And one of the big things that it, that they like zoom in on is that it says that the European union has been dissolved Mm -hmm. and considering recent history, it feels like that was like a big, like point at Brexit as like, this is not a good path to go down. Yeah. I did actually see um, a couple articles with the showrunner, um, Philip Coke. I hope I'm saying that right. Sure. Um, he was the showrunner, the director and the writer. Yeah. <laughs> Help me out. I, Co- I mean, Coke? Coke, but I mean, yeah, Coke's fine. <laughs> okay. I'll just say Coke. Um, yeah. He said that it was originally inspired by Brexit, which is pretty okay. wild. And um, it's, it's interesting because uh, he mentioned that, you know, the last four years have only become more poignant in this story um, as Brexit has taken hold and as... And how badly it's worked. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, not just in Europe, but also in the United States, we're just seeing this this pull away um, from a single identity, if that makes sense. It does. And I think it's a thing that happens a lot in, in post-apocalyptic media in general mm-hmm. is this focus on individualism of like, Oh, this, this one person or this one tiny click is like super strong, etc. where really, if we look at any point in human history, the only reason we've survived as a species is because we have an ability to work together in large groups, right. something that, that other animals generally speaking, they can't like get there. I mean, there's exception ants work together pretty well, but <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. And you also mentioned a little bit earlier, I want to just go back to this real quick before we move on. Um, how did the words sound in English? They totally made sense. I mean, you got the crows. That's, you know, right. pr- pretty simple to follow. Crimsons is literally the color, the, their, their highlight color that they wore. Easy to follow. Yeah. I think that they were 
probably imagining an international audience that um, mostly speaks English. Uh, and so they, this shaped it for English Was the speakers. dub quality pretty good? It was, it was great. The, the voice acting was spot on. I mean, spot on as far as it was really enjoyable to watch and it felt right. really well um, acted. Um, I do know that while I had the subtitles on, they often fought each other. But just in I can see that exact words, not in what they were trying to say. There was a few times in uh, the other show we mentioned earlier, Dark, which was from the same producers, uh, which mm-hmm. is also a great show on Netflix that I recommend. It's it kind of requires you to take notes <laughs> oh my while gosh, you yeah. to keep track of it. It's a pretty complex show. <laughs> but there there were a lot of cases in this as well as in Dark where I felt like the subtitles either glossed over stuff or were just kind of straight up wrong about what the character said. Wow, which was do you do you feel like you're missing out if you don't see it in the original? No, I, mean, I that's don't, probably I a don't think there was thing. anything wrong with the subtitles per se. Like if you were following the narrative that was in the subtitles, that was like a fine story. <laughs> and okay, but there was some things where like someone would say something, and and it's hard for me because I speak several languages to know if the thing they were saying has subtext because I know German, or uh-huh. if it was meant that way. <laughs> gotcha that's really interesting I, I mean there's always going to be some loss of understanding yeah. when there's it's, a translation it's an impossible job to translate especially you know speech and yeah. idioms and there's so many things that just don't translate yeah and there was a lot of times when i was counting on the actor's original performance even in german though mm-hmm. just their their facial expressions their body language to figure out what the nuance was right and i think they carried that really well all right, I'm glad so, to hear the dub was good. Yeah, it was great. Um, all right, so fill me in on what you thought about this show. Stick with no spoilers yet. Stick with no spoilers. Okay, I mentioned this earlier, but I'll say it again. Um, it's very predictable. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I felt like I could call the pretty much the arc for each character the first time <laughs> we saw them. Like, uh-huh. oh yeah, that guy's going to die. Uh-huh. That lady's awesome. She's going to be fine, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> Um, and again, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I, I think uh-huh. the, the whole reliance on a show being quirky or going off the rails or you not knowing where anything is going is also kind of boring. Like everything doesn't uh-huh. have to have a Shyamalan twist. Right. <laughs> we didn't need to find out this was all a dream in the fourth episode. It's mm-hmm. fine. Um, but mm-hmm. if you're like, if you, if you're really into that, maybe this is not the show for you. Um, like you mentioned, the production design was really good. Uh, the yeah. acting I f- was a little hit or miss, I felt. There was some mm-hmm. really good acting. There was no really bad acting, I didn't think. It was just okay. some of it was so good that I felt like some of the other stuff was like not quite on the <laughs> level. And that's oh, also some fine. Of those, some of those show. stars just shine too bright. <laughs> Yeah, a little bit. It's kind of like washing out the background. Um, <laughs> one thing I will mention that that shouldn't have any spoilers because we get to see a, a little bit of it in the trailers. Um, uh-huh. I have to. Uh, how do I say this in English? Emilio Sacraya, I guess, would be the English pronunciation of his name. Uh, uh-huh. He plays one of the main characters. Uh, he's a very talented martial artist. Oh, oh, he he played uh, Keanu. Yes. Okay. He's a very, the, the actor is a very talented martial artist and you can kind of see some of it, but the fight choreography was 
it's hard to tell if the if there was not great <laughs> fight choreography and they were trying to make it up with like weird editing uh-huh or if i need to murder the director of photography <laughs> <laughs> one of those two things was happening where it was not bad the fight scenes were honestly better than some of the stuff on game of thrones uh-huh um whereas you know that's a weird bar to set because sometimes it was really good in game of thrones and sometimes it uh-huh. was just trash the which is pretty wild the hound and and brienne of tarth was so bad uh-huh. i could barely watch it yeah it was um, it was like watching and this was two... better than that <laughs> <laughs> that's good <laughs> and yeah, there was that... also some 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 moments where there was clearly handheld camera use that i don't uh-huh. feel was like handheld camera use for the sake of anything other than i don't know if they didn't want to use a tripod or didn't have one handy (laughs) because there was times when the camera was moving around and it just shouldn't have Hmm. interesting okay those are feelings i had while watching it (laughs) (laughs) and they're all valid um so your overall impression rad or bad rad awesome so even though it fell short on a few marks you're you're sticking by it I mean, I feel like this this past year, uh-huh. we have been in a weird situation in that we get to consume so much media from just like being <laughs> indoors and not doing anything. Yeah. That, and also, uh, TV shows have had to step up their game over the past few years, mm-hmm. not just because of the pandemic, but even before then, just to compete on a market where people have more options in watching whatever they want, when they, whenever they want. And that's good and bad because it kind of, you know, it sets a bar that's really hard to reach with television where you have this, right. like, I mean, this, this season's only six episodes and uh-huh. I've only watched the first three. Um, and it's, you know, it's hard because it's, it's expensive and they're basically making like these episodes are 45 minutes long. Uh-huh. They're like every two episodes, they're making a feature film. They're exactly. making three feature films for the first episode for the first season. That's yeah. that's rough. I mean, yeah, it's and impressive. I have no idea what the budget was, but they put it all on screen. They really did. It the the environments, like the little village that the originals live in that we that we uh-huh. start the story in is really like immersive. It feels real. It feels like uh-huh. something that people could have built. There's no nonsense about it. It's located in a place that makes sense. Uh-huh. It ties into the story of the characters and they feel connected to it. It was the only thing I would say is like, I didn't see any farms there, which is weird, but like, are <laughs> oh, they yeah. literally living off hunted meat? Like that doesn't seem good. Yeah. Yeah. Hunt, hunter, hunter gatherer tribe. I mean, they had a, they had, they could be fishing also. And, and not to say there aren't uh-huh. people in the world who, you know, live off of fishing, but generally uh-huh. they have the ability to like buy rice from someone or something. And this seemed like they right. were a little more isolated. But that's I'm getting way into nitpick territory here because it looked amazing. <laughs> yeah, and also the 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 place they visited, the little Praha, uh-huh. seemed really cool. It was like some older buildings that had been like repurposed after the fall. There was a good. I have no idea where they found so many places that were over. <laughs> yeah, well, I know that they shot in Germany, Czech Republic, um, or Chechnya. It was Czech something check <laughs> check is what they go by now but czech republic oh, is the formal name oh okay good um and one of slovakia i think as well that that seems right yeah 
Um, so yeah, pretty wild. And, and I never think about that, that like a German production would shoot across Europe the same way that, you know, an LA production will shoot across, um, you know, North America. Um, that an LA production will shoot as far inland as Kern County. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It might go as far as the Malibu Hills. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Let me share a few of my thoughts here. Cause, um, I, I know I, I said, let's watch three episodes. I could not stop. Uh, I stayed up way too late <laughs> and ended up binging the entire thing. I'm going to try to not talk past it because I know I don't even want to spoil it for you. Um, but what I got to say after watching the whole season is I want so much more. They set up a really great world in this show um, that you really feel exists you know, sometimes world building in a post-apocalypse style movie, um, they forget to build the world outside of like a small location, you know, to let yeah. you know what's going on outside. And I think there was enough mystery and enough um, mythology about what was going on outside them that you just your your worldview of the show is large. And I, I, I love it. Um, Good. So even though it's in German and English. I found it really easy to follow. That could come from the predictability, um, but they definitely didn't hit you with too many characters right away. So, you know, it's it's a really easy story to follow. It's not like Game of Thrones where you got to watch it a whole other time to know what the heck's happening. Or dark. <laughs> yeah, or dark. Oh my gosh. It's, dark is impossible to follow. I, it needs like a, like a, a companion manual. You need a spreadsheet. yeah i think so (laughs) link everything together (laughs) yeah and they they do it like on in dark a lot of the characters do it and i'm always like why can't they just give me that the image of this character's research as my own little like research poster (laughs) just to follow (laughs) along um each of the leads and this is the three siblings they they're all following a different path and each of their storylines work for their character Um, And it's directly related to what that character wants. When we're first introduced to them, each of these characters has like a want or a need. And that's just, you know, good story writing. The character needs or wants something. Um, And their storylines are directly related to that. So I think that's really great that, you know, they're kind of put in these situations that are going to test what they want. They're going to figure out what they need. Um, It's just great story. And then... For a television show, the production value, the music, the directing, the editing, um, all superb. I I really I think... Th- I can't remember a single piece of music from the show, and I'm going to say that's a good thing. Yeah, that's always a good thing. Um, and what about the songs? They put in some original, not original, but some some like sound sync music that exists yeah, out in the world. I, uh, they did a good job of making it feel like it was music that was in the show. Mm-hmm like the characters were hearing it kind of. Yeah. Um, there was a couple times I was like, they didn't show a radio. You know, there were some places where there shouldn't be power and they had the music. That was a little, that threw me off. Right. But I'm also like, you know, like what's the smallest Bluetooth speaker you've seen? <laughs> it's pretty small. Right. It's like, pretty we small. Don't know. There could be yeah. like a, someone figured out how to charge an old Zune. Right. Yeah. And at, at this point, I, yeah, I guess we need to get more forgiving about that because just like you mentioned earlier, like the technology exists today. We have all sorts of battery powered things, all sorts of solar powered things. Like, yeah, like this, the, the apocalypse in this show happens. Uh, what does that work out to like 15 years after, uh, well, call it 
like 11 years after ear AirPods are invented. <laughs> right. And, and again, like that would maybe be hard to charge and stuff, but like there uh-huh. are, you know, double a battery powered, um, CD players that you could like uh-huh. hook up to a, a home solar panel, like one of those little phone charger solar panels. And, yeah. You know, if you let it charge for like a couple days, you could get like a solid evening's music out of it Uh huh. for your little dance yeah. party with your friends. Exactly. So yeah, comparing like a more modern post-apocalypse, like a future post-apocalypse versus the 80s where everything had to be plugged in and maybe you had a crappy battery from Radio Shack that would power it for a little while. (laughs) But rechargeables were a lot more rare and a lot more expensive. Anyway, um, comparing to that, I think, yeah, we can be a little bit more forgiving when it comes to the technology that gets left behind. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I feel like like how many many phones have you had in the past like 10 years? Shoot. Uh, A dozen or more all of them had like a a really advanced battery in them that's true they last for years getting recharged (laughs) hundreds of times you could smash a few phones open from a pile somewhere and (laughs) and you could power like a lot of of those little like you're not going to power a microwave but like you could power these little like oh yeah we're going to have a dance party once a week in our little commune in the woods that's a really good point yeah. Okay. So possible. overall, <laughs> overall, uh, I'm also giving this one a rad. I think it was a great story. Um, I didn't feel cheap in any way. I didn't feel, I felt like challenged as a watcher, um, but not so much. I couldn't follow it. So I I'm saying rad. I think everyone needs to watch this one. Fine. We <laughs> told them not to listen to us. Like, I don't... <laughs> all right. And, uh, since we've both given our rad or bad, let's move on and we'll kind of uh, this is where we're going to say that the um, from here on out, it's going to be Mad Max Beyond Spoiler Dome. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy that. <laughs> Welcome to Makeshift Forces Things. <laughs> <laughs> That's the show. That's uh, the Apocalypse Postcast. I mean, even in the title, I'm just forcing yeah. things. Yeah, no, it's great. <laughs> All right. So uh, I don't know if there's going to be spoilers from here on out, but. But if there are, I'm not editing them is what I'm going to say. Yeah. So uh, if you want to, if you like want to sh- watch the show sans spoilers, hit yeah. pause, watch yep. the whole binge, the first half of the show uh-huh. <laughs> and then yeah. hit unpause and see if you agree with us. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to get a little bit deeper, uh, uh, deeper penetration into <laughs> good God. Wow. We set the sexual harassment timer. Yep, there it is. I said, well, I guess it's a spoiler and uh, never mind. <laughs> All right. So um, let's start with with the story, because um, I feel like it, it felt a little rushed at times. But at the same time, versus some shows that just take forever to get to the point, I felt this one was mm-hmm. very driving. What do you think about the pace of the show so far? Um, the first episode I felt was had a little bit of the the tv show pilotitis where you're trying to like show a lot of stuff in the first episode in order to sell the show and i don't know how the show was greenlit i don't know if that was a pilot episode or if they sold this on story alone um Mm -hmm. they might have sold it on story alone because there was clearly a lot of money went into this first episode Mm -hmm. um so we got to see like a good opening where we got character introductions which i felt were paced perfectly Uh, We got like Mm -hmm. introduced to characters naturally and in a great way where they are like memorable enough and, you know, they skipped over some names and whatever, but 
which was also a one of those things that felt predictable. I was like, oh, they didn't mention that guy's name, so he's dying in 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, huh? They did that a few times. Yeah. And they had, and they had he died the, 10 minutes The shirt later. definitely had red shirts. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, and again, not a bad thing. I, I think I, I do feel like when we get to the point where there's some conflict in the show, which pretty early in episode one, I feel like the, they uh-huh. had done enough character building for it to feel a little bit impactful. Even though I also felt pretty sure that like yeah. all our main characters are definitely going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Always. Yeah. Um, there was like, there's no way Keanu's dying here. There's no way Liv is dying here. There's no way Elia's dying here. And of course they do. Uh-huh. Spoiler. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's, a, <laughs> it's right. They yeah, tried to the, show uh, us Liv dying. The show and survive. I mean, she got stabbed in like the lung and tossed off a cliff smacking her head yeah. into solid rock <laughs> and i was like really they're killing uh-huh. off the character who did narration halfway through the first episode i don't buy it and, <laughs> yeah and no she did not die from that it somehow. was that was a that was a good way of um yeah and it was very surprising anyone would be able to survive that but that was a good way of separating her from everyone else it, it was great it was a, a great story element and i did feel like when when we see her get stabbed and then like, it was like, oh, well maybe that's survival. And then she gets chucked <laughs> off a cliff. I was like, oh, holy shit. And yeah. I did feel in like, I felt like we'd spend enough time with the character that that felt impactful, which I, that is a good thing. Uh huh. And then they yeah. took the impact yeah, they... away, but still. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was her name? Hana, maybe, um, uh, a Keanu's lady interest. Um, yeah, Hana feels I right. feel like they could have built her up just a little bit more and it, it got lost in the shuffle of the, uh, the, the first major battle that it yeah. was even her getting hit. I was like, who was that? And I had to go back and see who it yeah. was. I, so, I thought they were going to take that further and turn him, her into like a permanent thing. I think it was uh-huh. just like a way to show maybe that, uh, the character of Keanu wants to leave, but maybe that's one of the reasons he hasn't left uh-huh. yet. So now he is like free to it's kind of released him from his village that he's from, that he does want to leave, but he's got Hana there. I mean, he had other things mm-hmm. there. He had his, but he lost kind of his whole family and his home. And then also, you know, his sex partner just like yeah. right there. <laughs> and then now he's kind of like off the leash and can go, just go do whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And um, you, you brought that up because, each of our three characters, they all they all want something in the beginning. And I mentioned that this all ties to their storyline. Keanu, he really wants to kind of spread his wings, see what else is out in the world. Uh, he's obviously not made for this very uh, low-key survivalist lifestyle. Um, he has higher ambitions and he doesn't really want to run the tribe. He thinks that Liv is the better choice for that. And yeah. she probably is the, ch- the choice. Um, but yeah, so he gets put in a place where now he has... he becomes a slave of the crows after this first battle and has to start like slowly figuring out chess moves to rise in the ranks of the crows. Yeah. And I, I feel like that fits in really well with him feeling frustrated with his original tribe when he was Uh in the originis as they're called. Yeah. Which sounds ridiculous when you say it in the middle (laughs) of a German sentence, trust me. Um, That he felt like he was kind of at a dead end. And when he, I mean, obviously, at first he's devastated that he's been enslaved. That's uh-huh. you know, 
clearly this is a terrible existence, but I, I, it felt like, and I didn't get as far as you, I only got to the third episode, but we see him uh-huh. start his journey inside the crows there where it kind of seems that he's figured out the like, Oh, here there's like a ladder I can climb. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, likewise, Liv, who is the sister, um, she seems to be the the family glue, the one that wants to pull everyone together, um, keep the tribe together and safe. She kind of follows in the footsteps of her um, dead mother who st- formed the tribe. Um, and she kind of gets put in the place of having to rescue the family to get everyone back together. That's going to be her storyline is trying to save the family. And I, I, I would imagine she wants them to go back to where they were to, you know, kind of live as a tribe again. Yeah. Which is probably, you know, sadly not possible because, <laughs> well, I mean, there, there's a lot that goes into living in a commune in the forest and the fact of the matter is most of them are dead. And if they go back there, <laughs> they're probably not going to survive. I think they did say that the original tribe was only 16 at some point uh, right. and they had so grown to around four? 50 or 60. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They are down to four, aren't they? Yeah. That's not a great start. Yeah. And there's not a very wide gene pool there. <laughs> no, no, there is not. And it does yeah. seem like the originis were, um, and it's, it's a very cool concept and one that we haven't seen explored much in post-apocalyptic fiction that they, instead of having like this, this traditional like defensive wall or whatever, they just uh-huh. lived in the middle of the woods with no roads going in or out and kind uh-huh. of like banking on the fact that they wouldn't be found. Yeah, it was very, it was reminded me a lot of the last of the Mohicans where yeah. they just happened to have one secret passageway in and nobody could find them. Yeah. And th- they do mention uh, a couple times um, the dad whose name I'm blanking on for the second. Um, um, he was Jacob. I Jacob. think. Yeah, uh, he does mention that in the past the forest has protected us. Speaking of of the tribe, and I think that's that's what he's talking about is that just no one knows where they are exactly. They know mm-hmm. of them maybe, but but no right. one ventures that deep into the woods. And yeah. that's kind of a cool concept because generally when we get to see these tribes, and even the other tribes that we see, the the crimsons who are some kind of military state that's forming in in this new Europa. Um, mm-hmm. They have these fortified positions and they act a lot like a modern military would where they set up bases and they set up lookouts and they build walls. And and then we have the crows who live in Bartok, which is the remnants of central Berlin in Germany. Uh-huh. Um, they also have done this like barricaded city area where they can kind of physically keep everyone out. And all of those feel like post-apocalyptic tropes, right? That's, that's the city. Yeah, absolutely. That's gas town. That's the bullet farm. That's uh-huh. blanking on any other post-apocalyptic media right now, because I'm so into <laughs> Mad Max always. <laughs> I know it. I know oh, it's, it's, uh, the, well, uh, I mean, the, like the big mine in, uh, or, uh, Corey in, uh, the postman. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So, having this kind of natural fortification that you build on is yeah. I mean, it's a natural thing. You got to find something where you can protect it because the, the outside world is dangerous. Yeah. And so the originally just flipped out on its head and just don't have any seemingly have no defenses at all. They just right. have all of their structures out in the open, but they're just so deep in the woods that, that no one. Yeah. They've got to, 
they've got a few bows and arrows. Um, I think they had a couple of guns, maybe with a couple yeah, bullets, but that a, was about it. A full on rifle. Uh, yeah. And it is interesting to, to see, you know, cause we're not that far into the apocalypse, right? In yeah. It's show. about 45 like, years. Yeah. We're, you know, a couple generations in, so they're still working firearms, but there's also stuff like what, um, what Liv had where she has a crossbow basically, uh-huh. but she's got rifle parts on it. She's got like a buttstock and a red dot sight that are right. clearly off modern rifles. Uh-huh. She's got the red dot sight mounted on like a rail that's strapped to the top of the crossbow somehow. Uh huh. So that was pretty cool to see that they, they yeah. did a lot of, and you know, sadly there were some blue jeans in there, but. <laughs> I know it. Um, and the, the, the third sibling, uh, El, Elia? How Elia. Does, how do you, Elia. Yeah, that's how it is. <laughs> Elia with a J. Um, so he's really into technology. He really wants to know what happened uh, in the, was it the Black December? Uh, when the power yeah. went out 45 years ago. Um, he, he's got this small, like Little Mermaid style collection of technology. And of course, I he's the that. one. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> and um, he's got an of course, iPhone in there. He's got like an old keyboard. Uh-huh. And of course, he's the one who finds the cube, um, this bit of technology, and it the sends MacGuffin. him on a mission. The MacGuffin. Oh my gosh, it was such a MacGuffin. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one thing I was going to mention. And it, a MacGuffin can work really well, and I think it actually works better in this than it does a lot of the time. Um, but it's still, it's in there just to create this mystery about what it does and this is what the sh- whole show is going to be driven by is just this little cube that's super mysterious and it's going to do something someday. Well, what I thought was, was odd. Uh, normally when we see a MacGuffin in a TV show or in a movie, it's, you know, it's just there to drive the plot forward, but it, it drives the whole plot forward. Uh huh. And even even in such convoluted cases as like Pulp Fiction, where we have like the briefcase with something shiny in it, uh-huh. um, every one of the loose little weird paths that we follow in that movie is driven by that one briefcase. Like none of that movie happens without the briefcase. And arguably uh-huh. none of the series happens without the cube. But almost immediately, like in the first episode two out of the three main characters just take off in their own different directions that have nothing to do with the cube anymore. Right. They yeah, don't know th- where th- the cube that's went. A really they never point. even saw the cube, like pretty much they got a glimpse of mm-hmm. it. And then that was like, you know, it was a, it was an incident. The finding of this cube killed their family. I mean, obviously this is a thing that happened to them, right. but it's no longer a part of their lives in any meaningful way. I don't know if that changes after uh-huh. episode three, no, I mean the cube is is something that uh, Keanu storyline. Um, obviously, the crows are after it, so that comes up, but it is not a driving factor in his storyline, and it's not a driving factor in Liv's storyline. Right. And I, I thought that um, was an interesting choice because it's still clearly like very much central to Elia's storyline and his uh-huh. relationship with Moses, who is this uh, kind of a cool character. He, in a way, reminded me of the gyro captain from road <laughs> yeah very eccentric because like he's i as once we get to episode three which is as far as i've gotten uh-huh. we've seen two cars in the whole show one mm-hmm. was a brief moment outside of like one of the crow's buildings there's like clearly a car oh i guess we see a bus also but yeah. there's clearly very few working 
automobiles left or just a, a very limited supply of gasoline or whatever. Uh-huh. There are vehicles, but it's not like the main way people get it around, at least not outside of, of Bartok, this big city. Uh-huh. Like people, we see people riding horses. We see people walking. We don't see people just riding around all willy nilly. And that's kind of like the gyro captain in road warrior. He has a gyrocopter, which is this like weird uh. thing that people know <laughs> about them. It's not like a, what the hell is that? Uh, and this <laughs> yeah. guy has this old VW, like really cool modified, uh, VW. I forget the name, but it, it originally was like a half van, half pickup. It's built on like the VW uh-huh. bus kind of deal, but it has like a flatbed in the back. And I thought that yeah, it was a, was it was really a really good. great vehicle. It's, it's so mm-hmm. it's customized in all like the right ways where it, I feel like it threads the needle of post-apocalyptic vehicle ridiculousness that we like in all of our media (laughs) and Uh actual post-apocalyptic vehicle possibility (laughs) of like, yes, this would actually be a practical vehicle that someone who's doing what he's doing, which is, you know, scavenging cool stuff and selling it to people. It felt like a vehicle he would have and would be able to maintain and would have built the way he built it uh, and was still cool looking without being road warrior or fury road ridiculous that's a that's a really good point and i i did love um the props and the vehicles in this they all really felt well designed like they they had um story and history built in sometimes you know with with an art department they can just slap things on um and you know we've we've even seen that with um events like wasteland weekend where there's kind of the 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 basic version you can do, like just make that look good and throw it in the background. Yep. And then there's the stuff that really shines and it's, it's got layers. It's got really a, a lot of thought put into it. It's, it has history that you can read on first glance. Yeah. <laughs> there was one moment <laughs> with, since we're still on this bus. Yeah. Uh, they're being chased by some guys on horseback who have guns and they're shooting at the bus and no one told the sound department what was going on, I think, because when we see this bus, it clearly has a glass windshield, Uh huh. but the side windows are these plastic, like maybe acrylic sheets yeah. that he has on hinges. So he can just kind of push them open uh-huh. and there's no apparent rear window because the back of this, this vehicle is all like completely full of like boxes and things out on a flat uh-huh. And they're shooting at him from behind, and we get that classic shot of the guys sitting in the car being shot out from behind where the rear, rear window gets blown out. And you hear the glass shattering, <laughs> and it's just like, what what window did they just shoot? I'm very confused. <laughs> yeah. There, were, there was another spot like that. I think it's actually in the later episodes you didn't get to, where um, the crow, v- Vivaris, um, slaps Vavara? Keanu. V- yeah, Vivara. Lord Vivara, was that her name? Yeah, I think so. Right? <laughs> Some of these names, they're really... Yeah, Vavara. Varvara. Uh, okay. Varvara. Lord Varvara. Yeah. yeah. So she, um, she's she got Keanu in capture. And at one point, she slaps him. And she has these um, like cat um, claw rings that oh, she yeah, wears. Oh, yeah, those are cool. Yeah. There is another great prop. Very cool. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but she slaps Keanu and they, they make a, you know, that knife or that like sword twang sound as they hit him, but it was only a slap. He didn't have any injuries. <laughs> and so they could have gone with the regular old, you know, uh, slap sound. 
slap sound. Right. <laughs> but I, you know, when he got back up, I was expecting him to have these giant cuts on his face because they obviously made the knife sound and uh, he did not. So yeah, did sound you, uh, department <laughs> missed a couple times. Did you catch the Wilhelm scream in episode one? I, yes. Yes. <laughs> There's more than one. Oh, good. I was hoping because I... I caught the one and I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's good. Episode one, getting the Wilhelm out of the way, but uh, yep. I'm glad to hear there's more. Yeah, there's more. There's one, there's one more. <laughs> there's two all, all together. Um, and sometimes, I don't know, the Wilhelm scream, uh, I love when I hear it because I'm just like, yes, you know, there's, there's some people that get it that, you know, no matter how seriously you take a production, you can still have a little bit of fun with it. Oh, yeah. um, but by the second time, I'm like, I, I got it. <laughs> yeah, we, we already heard the Wilhelm scream. You're all right. Yeah. Uh, I was watching this with my partner, Marie, and uh, she was not familiar with the Wilhelm screams. She never uh-huh. heard of it. So I actually ended up playing a compilation of Wilhelm screams. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Going back uh, and- to the original Wilhelm and the previous. Did you know the original Wilhelm, Private Wilhelm, was not the originator of the Wilhelm scream? Is that I right? I found that out yesterday. <laughs> it predates him by two years. No kidding. Yeah. Okay. Was, I, I'm blanking on on the names of the actual uh, pieces of film history right now, but in 1951, there was the original Wilhelm scream, and uh-huh. the private Wilhelm, who the Wilhelm scream is named for, that was actually a dub. Oh, wow. Where they used the original, like, <laughs> used the Wilhelm scream on Wilhelm, and then he got his name. Oh, that's hilarious. And uh, for anyone that doesn't know the Wilhelm scream, here it is. There you go. <laughs> what well, once you've heard it, you can never go back to watching a movie the same again because it's in everything. And now, when you hear it every time, you're gonna be like, "Oh, there you go." Yeah, yeah. And there's there's a few things out there kind of like that where it's just you know movie geeks just sending out little little Easter eggs for movie geeks. You know, I I wish I'd never learned After Effects because uh-huh. there's some like blood splatter effects and some like dust puff effects uh-huh. that once once you know what they look like. Oh you can't yeah. Unsee how they're in absolutely everything. <laughs> yeah. Like a lot of a lot of filmmakers buy these in packages of like a dozen. And so yep. there's not a whole lot of options. Uh and yeah. you see end up seeing them quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Why um why the Foley department always pretty much starts anew and the special effects department uses canned blood, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they just don't pay special effects people enough. That's probably what it is. Pay your special effects people. Yeah. What the hell, um, man? <laughs> so there are a few other Easter eggs in there. Um, of course, if you know, kind of a broader Easter egg. It does follow Game of Thrones season one where the siblings are all separated. And um, depending how far you got, I won't say more than that for your benefit, Swede. Sure, thanks. <laughs> um, let's see. Oliver Mas- Masucci. I'm not... S- pronouncing that right he actually utters a line that's that's how he pronounces it anyway oh okay good masuchi yeah he utters a line later on about having deja vu which is a callback to his character in dark which uh a lot of fans online were talking about uh which was pretty fun cool yeah and the boge arena again i don't think you've gotten here yet um it it i'm I'm aware of it but i haven't been i haven't gotten to see it see it gotcha but okay they've referenced it because in episode three they start talking about how keanu's character wants to and I, I, if, is it, do you think he's named for Keanu Reeves and they just spelled I, it wrong? <laughs> I mean, his character is very Keanu Reeves like. Right. So and just to maybe? be clear, like Keanu Reeves is not in this. There's a character <laughs> who's named <laughs> Keanu with an I. 
uh, yep. and that's the character's name, not the actor. The actor is uh, Emilio Sakaya. Yep. Yep. Um, but yeah, of course, that the Boge Arena, which is uh, German or Slavic or something, means combat, uh, is paying homage to the Thunderdome, of course. Well, I mean, I was I was assuming that's where it was going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's even got like the the layered tiers on the outside for everyone to watch the battles. I mean, it's it's very gladiator like. I mean, most most apocalyptic um battle sequences like this they end up being very gladiatorial because you know when you value human life a little bit less uh death becomes entertainment yeah uh so that was really fun um so there was also a little bit of foreshadowing in the story that i thought was pretty cool um the dad uh jacob he's never wrong <laughs> and right away he he tells the kids don't get involved because you know, we need to stay here, stay uninvolved, stay hidden. Uh, and almost immediately, that's when they get discovered is when the kids go in search of this spaceship. Yeah. Uh, um, I thought... He's wrong about where the pilot is in episode one. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess he is wrong about that. <laughs> in his defense, that was a total like shot in the dark, like picking between two places. So, Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought, I thought there was some cool foreshadowing again, um, right in the first episode, you know, who the good, who the good guys are, you know, who the bad guys are, and you know exactly how this story is going to play out. You just don't know all the details in between. Right. And I mean, that's where all the good stuff is. What it's speaking of knowing who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about the like the costuming and production design of like telling these different groups who are, because I thought it was, it was a mixed bag. Uh-huh. Some of it was not as detailed as I think reality would lend itself to <laughs> after having been that long without access to like newly uh-huh. fabricated clothes. But yeah. it was very easy to tell the different groups apart, which especially in, in cases like the big battle scene between the Origines and the crows, uh huh, that helps a lot. Right. Like it was very clear yeah, sometimes- what was going on, who was winning, and that's not always the case. Sometimes it's just a bunch of <laughs> cuts of like random people swinging swords and you just don't know what's happening. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's, it's interesting. Cause yeah, the crows especially, um, are incredibly clean. They have perfect clothing. They obviously have the means of some sort of, uh, uh, manufacturing, um, yeah, and I'll later on buy that from them because they have a whole city at their disposal, basically. Right. Yeah. Um, some of the costumes, especially once we get out of the smaller tribal areas, are a little too clean, a little too perfect. Um, but yeah, I do appreciate when filmmakers take that extra step to make sure you know who's who, um, mm-hmm. especially in a larger story like this, where they're kind of bouncing around between these three stories. Um, we're seeing a lot of different tribes and definitely hearing about a lot of different tribes. So to keep a, a visual signal on who's who uh, definitely helps. And even like the actors in each group, the crows are um, thin, um, almost like, what am I trying to say here? They, they, they kind of remind me of like the vampires in Underworld, okay. where they're all really yeah, trim. They like they're all a, really. Yeah, they did have a, not just a costuming thing, but they did have like a, a look they were going for clearly with the actors. Right. And then with the crimson um, they're kind of like an army, like a pseudo army group that are trying to be peacekeepers. Mm, 
They, yeah, they're the well. <laughs> they they probably have a, a slightly uh, better, higher ambition than the Dukes of the Nuke. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but yeah, David they lost his character isn't uh, party chief Mango. <laughs> uh, actually, yeah, that's that's actually a really good fit. <laughs> um, yeah, they they wear this almost like deserty color, but then they have highlights of crimson red and some yellow which i wasn't sure what the yellow was supposed to signify yet but um yeah they, they were very really cool the how they like they weren't getting re- it, it was one of the things that took me out of it a little bit when i was watching the postman was uh-huh. how they'd clearly made all these custom clothes and uh-huh. i'm looking around this quarry they live in and i'm like where the hell are you making all these custom clothes bro? <laughs> um, yeah. whereas with the crimsons it felt like a lot of the the red things that they were wearing were very organically put in like david uh-huh. Ross's character at one point has his jacket open and he's just wearing like a red t-shirt with print on it like it's a a leftover from a sports team or like a whatever that just happened to be yeah. red and that's the t-shirt he's wearing and there was a lot of that where it's clearly just a red piece of clothing it's not everyone doesn't have the same red piece of clothing it's like just a something that they picked up somewhere uh-huh. that was red i was like oh, i'm keeping this because it's red Yeah. Yeah. And, and could kind of go back to, um, how some things weren't distressed. Like the crows have several vehicles, um, including a limousine where the leather seats are still perfect. And I'm thinking like 45 years with this leather seat, (laughs) you know what they could be. And, but here's the thing. I, I, (laughs) I find that you know, I can forgive that because what it's showing is that they have means. They have, they are now the upper echelon of society when it comes to um, the spoils of war. They get what they want, and and they have the means of making things as nice as they want. Right, and I, I will say, like the rear seat in my '64 Thunderbird <laughs> is actually fine. Oh, okay, because it's not used a lot. Yeah, and it's not been in the sun, and it's it's. The leather's fine. So it's plausible. And that's old. I mean, uh-huh. that's 60 years old at this point. Yeah. Not quite, but 58 okay. or whatever. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll buy that as plausible. Although there's always the thing, you know, we go into this with Waste on Weekend costuming sometimes. Of, uh-huh. Yeah, it's plausible, but does it need to, like, is it better that it looks post-apocalyptic or better that it's plausible like can you explain it yeah you can explain how they Uh managed to make leather or but would it have been better if the leather was just scuffed a bit yeah like this is the best we can get we have the best stuff but it's still not as good as you know 2021 good stuff exactly it would have been great to see you know spots where they've used a different color black to re-dye the leather or small repairs because obviously the crows they carry a lot of weapons on them Someone's yeah. going to sit in that limo and pierce the seat and just, yeah. you know, a little seam mark would have been great there. We've all done that. Yeah. <laughs> Wearing post-apocalyptic <laughs> But So do we ever find out what the, what the drug that the crows are inhaling before their big fight scene is? Um, no, but it's very close to crystal meth as far as I can tell. Okay. Yeah. That, that's yeah. fair. Uh, I what mean, they, meth they, was invented as a, or, well, I don't know invented, but it was definitely one of its first early uses was as a combat enhancer. Yeah. Cause we do see when, um, Keanu is in the factory that he's making some kind of like a, like a cube crystal type of deal. Um, and yeah. it's definitely seems to, I mean, 
as, at one point, this is later on, Keanu uh, is forced to take a hit. And it, it seems to have that same effect that you would recognize from sure from other movies like yeah, um, we, it, i thought it was a like a it was kind of like sort of a a mix between like a fury road reference and a video uh-huh. game reference where before the crows go into this big battle like everyone takes a huff of something right and they all have kind of the same inhaler thing yeah it looked kind of bulky but it also was a great like visual it looked really cool and you could yeah. also tell because they're they're threatening violence, but they haven't really said anything yet. And there's still mm-hmm. that, are they going to, or aren't they? And then everyone just takes a hit of like whatever this drug is. And you're like, Oh yeah, right. no, this is definitely happening. Yeah. And, um, my rough translation for what this drug was called, and I can't remember what the German was. Um, but I tried to translate it and they called it the cloud. Um, that was the English oh. version. I, I wish I could remember what it was called, but yeah, it's just like, you know, kind of a fun name for, for a drug. Um, which makes, which also makes me think that it's based in smoke of some kind, uh, but they're not smoking it. They're like almost ionizing it or vaporizing it. Okay. Yeah. Um, um I, th- I want to say they called it Volk. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, is my translation good or is that way off? Yeah, I guess cloud is is pretty pretty good. <laughs> okay. And while we're on um, that, here here's a couple other. As far as I like it's Yeah, it's a Dutch word. Yeah, it's just the Dutch word for cloud. Cool. Um here's another one. Uh the crows called everyone who wasn't a crow Lubovnik, which I translated as free, maybe free man. Something like that. Does okay. that sound about right? I don't know. It's not German. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be more of like maybe Czech or or yeah. There was Polish, a lot of, of really fun language influences. Yeah, I thought it was really cool. And you know, when you're doing a post-apocalypse story, you, you know, you try to create some new words because obviously, if you use only modern vernacular, um, it's really hard to displace it from modern day. It gets real um, fracking hard. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, so by adding like unusual unusual names, unusual um, words, and by renaming cities, I think that's a great way to kind of and say that, this that is a different place over time, right? Like um, a lot of of cities that we know today had different or similar, but changed names, you know, a hundred years ago, and right. That was a. I, I thought it was interesting. It, it's it was a little. It's odder that it would happen after a post apocalypse. <laughs> than that it would happen over hundreds of years because uh-huh. nowadays we have printed maps. Right. And we see printed maps in the show like mm-hmm. more than once. And the name would be on there. And there's a scene in, in the third episode where we have this captured crow, uh, uh-huh. who is spilling the beans <laughs> to mm-hmm. live on how to get into Bartok, this central part of Berlin. Uh-huh. And she references places that are in <laughs> Berlin now, like Vendi, okay. um, by their original name, which just makes it like, well, why, like, why'd you rename downtown Berlin? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and does Bartok have any meaning that you could pick out? No. I, I mean, not that I know of. It seems to be like a surname, maybe. There's Bartok the Magnificent. I've I've heard the name, <laughs> like, as a, as a name before, as, like, a last uh-huh. name, but... Yeah. 
I'm always trying to find if there's any hidden meaning in some of the some of the names. I am. I be, I would be surprised if there isn't something in every single place name here. Right. Like little Praha is is obviously a a reference to Prague. Okay. And as, I mean, not as in the actual Prague, but like you know, uh-huh. maybe a an area that had a lot of of Czech people in it or something. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, that's right. Just just like little Tokyo, which would be right. like a, a a place where a lot of Japanese people live. So little Braha would be where. That, okay. I get it. Um. So, what do you think about the overall like director directorship of the show? Um. Because Philip Coke. Co- I, I forgot the, how you pronounce it again, but we'll just stick with Coke. Philip yeah. Coke was the showrunner, writer, director. Um, he also had uh, Florian Baxmeyer um, direct a couple shows. I think um, a couple episodes, I should say. I think they did a great job of creating a, a, a great storyline. And um, I, I agree. Yeah, I thought the directing was was good. Again, yeah, I think there was there was some camera work that I. Those were decisions I wouldn't have made, but okay, uh-huh. like. And I, again, I don't know how much of that was just like the demands of, of where they were filming. I don't know how much of this was practical sets and how right. much of it was on location and how much of it was green screened. Uh, I uh-huh. will say uh, there's some obvious CGI elements though. Like obviously uh-huh. in the real world, you don't have like floating cubes, um, or spaceships. <laughs> not that it was a uh-huh. spaceship, but you know, like we don't have airplanes that look like that. Uh, that right. was obviously CG. It did not look bad by any means, but I, I honestly couldn't tell if they green screen stuff in general. Uh huh. So if yeah. they did great job, <laughs> if mm-hmm. they found these locations in, in real life, <laughs> I'm very impressed. There's those were, there was some incredible sets. Uh, there's a yeah. scene where all of the, uh, the newly enslaved origines and some of the monks from little Pra are being taken to, um, Bartok. And they're walking down a street mm-hmm. with these like ruined buildings on either, either side. And I think some of the shaky camness that was happening there was just the cameraman is like in a bunch of rubble trying uh-huh. to film. There was maybe no way to get a dolly in there. <laughs> and I kind of get it, but yeah, I don't know. It, it took me out gotcha. of it a little bit where it was, you know, oh, this doesn't look so great. It's interesting because I, you know, I'm, I'm obviously um, a camera operator myself, but I yeah. didn't none of the cinematography, no, I'm sorry, none of the camera work s- stood out to me as wrong. Like I was just kind of on it the whole way. Um, their, their framing choices, the handheld versus the smooth stuff. Um, none of it bothered me. I, I thought it was great. It's just something that didn't even poke out. And that's something I'm always watching because I, right. I want to learn what are, what are they doing here? Yeah. The thing that did stick out was the, how overly naturally lit the exterior scenes were and then how stylized and almost candy they were for the interiors because you know most of the time outside you just light with the sun maybe you add a scrim or some reflection it's really hard to compete with the sun to light Uh, and so sometimes you just don't (laughs) but then when you're inside you got full control and so you can kind of you know get a little bit more creative um and the disparity between the two stuck out to me where they were going so stylized inside and so natural outside that it just felt so different yeah uh i did notice that i didn't i didn't feel like the interiors were too stylized in that Mm -hmm. i think the thing that they did well with the interior lighting was 
it felt like a way that the people who were there would have lit something like the lighting inside mm. the, the Volk production complex felt mm-hmm. very different from the interior of the fortress with the crimsons, for example. Yeah. Agreed. And that, like, if you watch some, you know, this is, is not as high a production value show, but uh sci-fi's version of Dune mm-hmm. that they did. They had a lot of stylized lighting. And I think part of the problem was, regardless of who you were looking at and what situation you were looking at, the stylized lighting was kind of always the same. <laughs> so you had these like different factions and it felt like they all used like the same interior decorator as far as lighting. Uh-huh. And that uh-huh. was bad. And I feel like in this case, yeah, it was very stylized, but it was also stylized in a way that felt like it fit in with, with who was there. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, and that's where it didn't bother me so much because each of these different factions, they definitely had a look and the lighting just accentuated on that. Yeah. Yep. Um, sound wise, other than a few like misplaced sound cues, I was, I was into it. It sounded like even when I did watch the, with the original German in the beginning, um, it sounded like they got, you know, some great pickup on their mics. Uh, the mix sounded good. Um, the dubbed the voiceover dubs, sounded well acted so it was really easy to find to follow along mm-hmm. um any thoughts on on the audio no and i'm i'm kind of into audio as you yeah know. and uh, that's the best thing is when <laughs> is when you can go nope no thoughts then you you yeah, get the, like you I did the job I, right right i did i never felt like i mean i'm very into audio uh uh-huh i run the station at wasteland radio I built that whole studio myself. Uh-huh. I've had, I built my first home studio in like 1998. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I work for a large manufacturer <laughs> of audio products. <laughs> um, I like, I deal with audio all day, every day. And mm-hmm. I, I don't do movie audio or film or, you know, any kind of film audio, mm-hmm. but other, so it's easy for me sometimes to pick up on stuff that's, like, oh, yeah, you did this, or oh, yeah, you did this, or oh, yeah, you recorded that with one of these. Uh, and yeah. other than, like, the weird sound cues where, you know, I like I mentioned earlier, I noticed the the back window being shot out of a <laughs> van that doesn't have a back window. The right. sound was not what took me out of that. Like, it sounded like the back uh-huh. window was being shot out of the van they were in. And right. it, I never felt like I was listening to a recording or like I was listening to ADR. <laughs> it always sounded like uh-huh. it was recorded on site with the stuff. Like, yeah. The, the weapon stuff sounded good. The crossbow sounded good. Mm-hmm. Like everything just sounded like I was actually watching what was happening. So yeah, they get yeah. great marks for me on, on sound. Yeah. And, and sometimes sound is like the first thing that doesn't work out well in TV because of the lower budgets, but obviously they, yeah. they, they plan this one out. They, they put some money in the sound, which is always commendable. It's not easy, you know, recording sound uh, on, on site. Like right, that. especially if you're doing, you know, recording things in old ruins or, uh huh. It just I just never noticed <laughs> the sound as being like a thing. So clearly that's great. Did a great job. Yep. Um, you had mentioned some of the fight sequences. I actually really enjoyed the fight sequences in this one. Um, I thought a lot of the fight choreography worked really well. Um, sometimes it felt a little rushed. Like I would almost not have minded if they had extended a couple of these fight scenes. Um, just to get a little bit more meat in there. 
Um, is this stuff that happens later after episode three? Yeah, perhaps. Okay. <laughs> it there, might. There's not a lot of, of physical combat in there's, we have the first episode, we have the big fight uh-huh. between the, the yep. crows and the originis. And again, I will say one of the things that's really hard to do in fight choreography is to have a lot of people fighting who are on camera at the same time. Because you need everything. (laughs) Obviously, you can't have people actually punching each other unless you're shooting a Hong Kong (laughs) film with Uh Jackie Chan. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I just kick the guy. It's fine. Yeah. Um, You you can't. So a lot of people have to be pretending. And you can fix that with camera angles, right? Where you don't see that they're pretending. And that's way harder when there's a bunch of people fighting in the background. So every now and then uh-huh. you'll see, you know, just the ridiculousness of someone kicking like three feet away from someone and someone just throwing themselves on the ground. And I didn't see exactly. a lot of that. Which would work like, from 90 degrees to the side. Yeah. I didn't go uh-huh. through this like frame by frame to look for any goofs, but it felt very immersive when these two big gangs were fighting and there was various terrain and there was lots of different people doing different things. Uh-huh. And again, um, uh, uh, Keanu's uh, character, the actor, knows martial arts. Clearly, he was working really well uh-huh. with stunt people. All their close-up stuff looked really good. Right. Um, mm-hmm. That first fight, again, there was like... Everything was not great. Well, I, I shouldn't say it wasn't great. I should say it wasn't up to the caliber of the performances by the actors and stunt people. Yeah, that's a good point. And I don't know if that changes once we get to see, because <laughs> there was, there is a small fight or less fight, more beating <laughs> uh-huh. in, in episode three, where Keanu is, is now in this, this factory in Bartok producing uh-huh. drugs, presumably for his new masters. Um, and that stuff looked really good. Yeah. That was very immersive. And, and along with the, the fighting, the, um, the gore, the violence, when, someone gets stabbed when someone gets hit when someone uh gets beat on i've really felt it like a lot of yeah a lot of the impacts i was like oh my god <laughs> and it wasn't ridiculous it wasn't you know where it's sometimes in order to sell it they'll go full blood spurts everywhere and right it wasn't it felt like someone was like it felt upsetting because it felt like yeah. someone was being hit and that's upsetting exactly yeah and some of the deaths were surprising they were visceral they were they yeah they felt real they definitely got they got you good <laughs> there's there's one i'm gonna i'm gonna go back to nitpicking here <laughs> yeah there's a sword execution in episode one mm-hmm. where clearly she's using either a frictionless sword <laughs> <laughs> it just slides right through this guy in a way yeah. that was very like okay yeah that was that was very movie sword I was wondering if he didn't have any neck bones. Right. Now, maybe he doesn't. I mean, we don't know. It's the future. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That that was one that stuck out. Shoot. You know what's what's kind of funny is I feel like um, I forgive these things because the story was so good. Oh, absolutely. And right? again, like, obviously, this is a TV show. She's not going to actually stab a guy in the neck. <laughs> you have yeah, to and- film it somehow. And generally speaking, that was a, it was an impactful scene. That whole, that whole setup of the interrogation mm-hmm. felt dark in a yeah. way that I think is appropriate because it shouldn't be cool when people like, I don't like it when it's cool that people die. Like, yeah, that's, that's a good point. It felt like these, these people were genuinely afraid and, and it was upsetting to watch. And that's 
what you should be going for when it's violence. Yeah, and that's when um, our last red shirt of the show uh, gets gutted, right? Yes. You saw that? Yeah. I, do we ever find out? Like, did we ever find out his name? Or was I just like, I, I missed his name? Because I, I assumed think so. he was going to die right off the bat. Because... Yeah, I don't think so. I thought that was the uncle at first, and I was surprised he died. I was like, oh, shoot. But then the uncle was still alive elsewhere. Yeah, I don't. Oh, I'm sorry. No, he was dead back in the camp is what it was. Yeah. Yeah, the uncle, he's the, he's the guy with the claw hand. I thought we were going to get to see that claw hand in action. <laughs> you know, I, when, because he, he featured early on in the episode, we, we saw uh-huh. him a bunch, uh, played yeah. by uh, Klaus Tange from, uh, from Denmark, mm-hmm. uh, who is a, is a good actor. He was in mm-hmm. uh, one of my favorite World War II movies. It was a Danish movie called. Uh, oh, wow. Flame and Citroen was the name in English, uh, Flammen und Zitronen in Danish. Um, Sounds like a bar. It is about, uh, Flame is a, a red-haired uh, guy. That was uh-huh. his nickname. Uh, it uh, stars uh, Ture Lindhardt and uh, Mats Mikkelsen mm-hmm. as two famous Danish resistance movement uh, fighters during World War II. Gotcha. Uh, it's worth a watch. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I like I never caught his name, and they mentioned that his arm had been cut off. Yeah, by some raiders, mm-hmm. and it, I was like, he he was missing an arm because I don't think they ever showed that <laughs> until he was dead. <laughs> they did show it earlier. It, okay, it was I just not. Totally missed it. He didn't get a close up. Um, I think I they could have kind of cool that they didn't like make it a whole thing that he has like. Yeah, well, especially since it didn't come to play any more than that, I'm glad that they kind of left it as just a little bit more of that detail that tells some more history. Yeah, and then, you know, when he does die, we get to see him, like, sprawled out. Exactly, yeah. Um, Surprised they didn't, like, take his prosthetic arm. (laughs) That's actually a good point. That would have been a pretty neat piece of tech. This seems like a thing that would be, like, you know, a valuable (laughs) item in the post-apocalypse. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Oh, maybe uh, maybe the cleanup crew came in. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. They did send scouts back after, yeah. Uh, but they were after the cube, not not for uh, any well, prosthetics. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they pick up what um, they can find. So I know we we mentioned the set pieces, the costumes, the props. Um, they were all brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I thought yeah. they they definitely showed a, a huge world, and none of it felt like, oh yeah, let's just add that too. If everything was really well done. I yeah yeah it it felt like it felt convincing it felt like yeah. that yeah this could happen yeah um so by the end of season one which is the first six episodes uh, we are still left with plenty of questions um I'm sorry to tell you Swede but we're not going to find out any more about the Atlanteans I didn't um, think we would we're going to get six just episodes <laughs> yeah I think that's going to be as many as many seasons as they make of the show that's how long it'll take to figure out the Atlanteans. Um, but I was thinking like, are, is it, are they playing up the idea of Atlantis or are the Atlanteans maybe North Americans or could they even be the British for all we know? Um, I'm definitely curious about it because we've seen it before where an apocalypse hits a continent, but maybe on another continent, they're fine. <laughs> I mean, they played that up in, uh, 28 days later, weeks later, right. I forget which one they. Mm-hmm. And it's also one of the things that is like always plagued the Max Ma- Mad Max universe. Of like, well, when did the apocalypse happen? And it's kind of like unclear. But like, societies don't change overnight. 
Like if you look yeah. at what happened to Britain when the Romans pulled out, that was not a change that happened in a day where like all the Romans are gone. So now we don't have any stuff anymore. Like it takes <laughs> generations for that kind of stuff to change. Like there were still Roman uh-huh. towns after the Romans left. There were still roads yeah. after the Romans left. And then that stuff broke down over time and it wouldn't have broken mm-hmm. down at the same pace everywhere. So what's going right. on outside of Europa as this show defines it, which I don't know where the borders are. Like what's Japan like? We mm-hmm. don't. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe they're just fine. Right. Yep. <laughs> if, you, if you're cut um, off from the internet, hits. do you even know? <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> yeah, and and yeah, I mean, a worldwide plague, just like just like the biblical flood. I mean, if you don't know what's past two hours from your house. Uh, that's a worldwide flood. But if it's just your block that floods, <laughs> right. I hope that, yeah. Uh, so yeah, this could be pretty localized to Europe or it could be worldwide. We don't know that yet. Um, also, they mentioned several other tribes that sound pretty powerful, like Femen, um, which we do get a hint at by the end of the show. Um, yeah, apparently and... you're not allowed to uh, have male genitalia. When did it say that? Them. I think Moses mentions it. Oh, that's right. They said something like they'll they'll cut you off. Uh, but it sounded it sounded like it was going to be um, more like the crows, where they're just happy to injure you. But um, I mean, yeah, who knows? Y- yep. Um, and then there's some northern tribe. Do you remember the name of the northern tribe? No. They they also sound pretty powerful, almost on the level of crimson. Okay. So we'll get there I at mean, some it's, point. It's uh, Europe has been through this before, right? With mm-hmm. the city states and local warring factions and. It's, you know, what, what feels like a big and powerful entity Uh can very quickly become not so powerful when you run into someone who hasn't been at war for the past, who knows how long. And the, the Germanic tribes ran into this when, when they first met Rome, right? Where Mm -hmm. they had been really busy fighting each other for a really long time. And now someone who hasn't had that drain on their society shows up and kicks all their asses. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> because they're like, well, we, we've just been swimming in money for I don't know how long. So <laughs> here's some cool stuff you've never heard of, and I feel like uh-huh. that that could be, and like we history is just rife with this, right? Uh huh. America in the 1950s is the only industrial producing large nation on the planet who did not get bombed to shit ten years ago. Right. Like Germany was a huge manufacturing powerhouse, but they got carpet bombed and had nothing. <laughs> France was invaded and got everything destroyed. The Soviet Union uh-huh. had everything like just run into the ground, uh-huh. economy in tatters. And the U.S. kind of was sitting there like, well, I mean, no one invaded us. <laughs> Look at all these things we built. <laughs> and took over like the automobile manufacturing for the whole planet pretty much. And like right. all the cool stuff came out of the U.S. because the U.S. had this giant economy that didn't hadn't been drained by being bombed. And I could see the Atlanteans yeah, kind of that's... playing into that where like maybe maybe there's just some countries out there who are fine and instead of like maybe they just don't want to get involved. They don't like they uh-huh. they haven't been trying to save Europe because Europe is kind of a mess right now and there's a bunch of people fighting each other and <laughs> making drugs in Berlin and <laughs> driving around That's in, true. In yeah, just kind of thinking of it like Right. Yeah. And kind of ignore it the same way that the first world ignores uh, most of Africa and South America today. Like we, yeah. we're not really paying attention to what's happening. 
uh, because we're just worried or about any our country own stuff. that's going through, uh, <laughs> you know, disastrous amounts of strife back and forth. Yeah, and we yeah, just, just kind of stay know, uninvolved. Keep making iPhones about it, <laughs> right? And and that's a good point too. In is the technology in tribes of Europa? Um, I mean, we're talking seventy five, no, fifty five years in the future. So theoretically, if some country was unaffected, their technology could have advanced to the point where it looks alien to us today. Yeah. Um, what, what was the quote? Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, if you, if you beamed our like just 2021 technology back to yourself 30 years ago, right. in 1991. Yeah. The concept of what a laptop can do today, or even less like an Android smartphone would be basically like an institutional supercomputer. Exactly. I mean, I, I'm, I'm old. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not that old, but I'm, I'm 41 years old. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I remember a megabyte being an unattainable amount of Ram. Uh huh. (laughs) (laughs) And the computer I'm sitting at right now, it's like 32 gigabyte, 32,000 of those units. Yep. It's great. So yeah, if you, if you span that out to someone who is, you know, isolated from this disaster, uh-huh. they could definitely have what they call a hover jet. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we've got uh, several countries in the world that are making actual advances in fusion. Yeah. And so to, to think that, you know, in 50 years we'll have fusion powered stuff is, is it's not crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that for 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yeah. no, it is, it is actually possible. And, and, I think the, the, I hope that, well, first of all, do we know if this is getting a season two? I, I know it hasn't been greenlit yet, but do you know if they're uh, talking about it? They have not. The way they left it off makes me think that they, they are assuming they are. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm definitely thinking there's going to be more. And with, with Netflix behind it, Netflix does tend to do two to three seasons of a show mm-hmm. before, you know, leaving it in the dust. I think Dark got three, right? Dark got three and they wrapped it up. Yep. I I would imagine the same kind of situation. Okay. And hopefully more episodes in the next couple of seasons as well. Um, And the last thing I feel like six was, I mean, there were 45 minute episodes, which is Uh uh, plentiful, but I do feel like six is a little, a little short. Yeah. And I wouldn't mind if they kind of slowed down the storytelling a little bit. Sure. Um, So the last thing that we still have no idea about is there's almost this Games of Thrones White Walker um, threat from the East called the Black Swarms or the Black Knight or the Black something, um, mm. which is pretty interesting because just like Game of Thrones, they introduce the idea that it's out there and then really don't tell us much about it. Okay. Yep. So I feel unfortunately, like they did that well in the beginning in Game of Thrones and then kind of just trashed it at the end. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. I Hopefully we don't see that situation happen again. Good God. The the unknown and ominous threat is, you know, it's kind of a trope, but it does work well on humans. Yeah. And it, it keeps you involved and it, they just hint at it a little bit and it, that'll be the through line for however many seasons they have. Whereas some of these other storylines can be kept kind of you know, to, to a season up. or shorter. Yeah. Cause otherwise exactly. it gets ridiculous as to well, this. If you were in such a hurry, why haven't you wrapped this up yet? And you end up with yeah. the days of our lives. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully the black smoke or the black swarms, it, it's a little smoky looking um, when you get to see a hint of it. Uh, hopefully it's, it's not. Just bees. <laughs> it could be. It could be. It, interesting. Yeah. But hopefully it doesn't end up being being like the smoke monster from Lost where it was like, oh, there's a smoke monster, but it is nothing. <laughs> you, want, you want to hear something weird? Yeah. I've never watched a full episode of Lost. Good for you. Keep it that way. <laughs> I've heard that. <laughs> that was the I'm familiar ultimate. with the story. And, and, the, yeah. and by the time, I don't remember what I was doing. I think I was very busy with something professionally at the time. Uh, uh-huh. And I couldn't dedicate the amount of time I needed to another TV show. And by the time I had time to like catch up on Lost, kind of everyone was just like, you shouldn't. <laughs> just don't. It's like, okay. Yeah, sometimes it's worth waiting and just seeing how much uh, people's hopes are drained by the end of the show. <laughs> well, and, and sometimes I feel like that can kind of swing both ways because with Game of Thrones, for example, I feel like basically everyone hated the way that show ended. Yeah. And I still feel like most of the show, the vast majority of that show is worth watching. Yeah. Even knowing that it ends badly. Um, because there's a, like, there's a lot of endings in game of Thrones Uh huh. and the ending to the overarching political story may not have been satisfying, but there's a lot of, <laughs> of things that like, if you were to go back and watch the first half of season one of game of Thrones, it's hard to even tell who the major players are going to be at the end right. of the show, which right. I think is, is really good. And it's, it's very different storytelling. Uh, I mean, psycho did it, I guess. Uh-huh. Hitchcock Psycho, where you just like swap out your lead <laughs> halfway through the movie. <laughs> like, oh, fooled you. It's, it's not actually about this person. Um, yep. But so I, I feel like, you know, knowing that it ends badly might sometimes turn people off from watching a show that is good until the end and might be worth watching until the end, which I do yeah. think Game of Thrones is worth watching. Yeah. Uh, oh, absolutely. I do think this show is worth watching. <laughs> <laughs> uh yes yeah this show is so worth watching and i i, I have high hopes for how it's going to continue okay yeah well i guess the write your local netflix representative and ask for season two yeah yeah and that's the, that's the thing with netflix you got to watch out because they'll just pull the plug out of nowhere because their thing is new content new titles to flash yeah. doing doing eight or nine seasons of a show is not in their in their business plan do we know how long this was in production? No, there's very little information on Tribes of Europa out there right now. Um, I, I know that heard of this until like a few days ago. Yeah. And that's another thing Netflix does not do well is promote. Because <laughs> <laughs> this one wasn't yeah. even on their new releases for me yesterday. I bet it was in Europe, but in the United States, it was not. It was on mine. Oh, it was. Okay. Yeah. Um. I'm just looking at like articles. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm not seeing a lot of older stuff. Um, there's like an article from back in September about uh-huh. um, uh, Oliver Vogel joining the production. Mm-hmm. So it was obviously, you know, in production for more than f- four five months. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know he began writing it about four years ago around the time Brexit. Okay vote happened interesting yeah. all right but yeah so um, like what what do you think the timeline might be for a season two then oh tip it oh a shoot year? just 
based on like what they did with Dark, it was about a year, maybe 18 months, I think. Yeah. We'll probably see it early 2022. That'd oh. be my guess. I, I know. That's that the long. thing is you can binge these shows and then I know. so much time passes before you get to see the new installment. You almost have to go back and like refresh. Yeah. Which could be worth doing, especially, you know, some more. This I, I could I feel like I could spot some stuff in this show. Uh -huh. like watching through it a second time. Dark yeah. was definitely one of those shows where like you have to watch it twice or you're just going to uh, spend yeah. half your time just being confused. Right. With Dark, we've we're halfway through season three and i'm like we need to make some time and go back because i have no idea who anyone is anymore yep. i'm so lost it's ridiculous and i think i need to start drawing out a map <laughs> yep a time map a three or four dimensional time map <laughs> you know what really helps with dark is having a family tree yeah i'll probably there's probably a website that i could pull up that just has there's everything more than one <laughs> yeah maybe i'll do that next that'll be good all right and then like i did with this show maybe i'll just you know each scene just write out the one sentence here's what happened <laughs> yeah uh I, anyway this was much less confusing i felt like they did a good yeah, job of, super easy on, to follow uh-huh all right awesome well um i think that will about do it do you have anything else you want to add no yeah i think it's just it's a good show I think everyone's going to enjoy. It. Oh, what I will say is um, for people who like um, movies or other shows like um, Snowpiercer, like Hunger Games, like Maze Runner, um, the ones that are made for a younger audience, but you want it made a little bit more for an adult, this is your show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Does that make that sense? Feels, yeah, that does make sense. It It did not feel... Like a teen coming of age. Problem. No. And that that can throw you off. If you've got a family of younger people who like this genre, they may be attracted to watch it because all the stars are young, uh, but it is not for kids. <laughs> yeah. And it didn't feel like it was because uh, I know maybe less with Snowpiercer, but like Maze Runner and those felt like the traditional coming of age story. Just here's a different setting for it. Yeah. Whereas this felt like it was kind of divorced from the character's ages a little bit. Right. Where Elia's story is like, would work just as well with an adult protagonist. Like, I don't feel like it matters much that he's a child. Yeah, that's a really good point. But I think, um, again, I think it's it's mirroring Game of Thrones to try to be that. Sure. <laughs> Post-apocalypse right. Game of Thrones then. There yeah. You. Perfect. All right. Well, um, I think this show's got... Thumbs up from both of us. Uh, definitely watch it. And um, let us know what you think in the comments. Uh, and Sweet will be back for some more movie reviews. And he's going to be back on a couple other episodes as well. So thank you so much for coming on today, Sweet. I think this went really well. I can't wait to do it again. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And I guess that's it. So, guys, this has been our, me and Swede's, deep penetration into Tribes of Europa. <laughs> I hope you had a good time. I sure did. This was a lot of fun. I had a good time. And we I had a good time too. I hope you can uh, edit our um, uh, where are we at here hour and forty one minutes of uh, having fun together into something that's no. It's gonna it's gonna pretty much be this long. <laughs> <laughs> minus minus a few uh, technical glitches and our yeah, but I I think it's gonna it's gonna live long. <laughs> um, right. So just want to rem remind all of my fans that the editing is totally on makeshift here. Yep, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> 
blame him. I don't I don't need any messages about it. All right. If you did make it this far and you enjoyed today's episode, share it with your friends. If you hated it, share it with your enemies in a water balloon filled with Vaseline and glitter. <laughs> oh, so evil. <laughs> Until next time, survivors. Stay alive. Hey, Survivors, Makeshift here to remind you that the Apocalypse Post is brought to you in no small way by our Patreon supporters. Join the ranks for early access and exclusive content with support levels now named for fancy Fallout-ridden factions like the $2 per creation Drifter or the $7 Wastelander. Knowing you've got my back has helped me dedicate more time to this channel, spreading love of the post-apocalypse, and less time on stupid real-world stuff. Sign up right now at patreon.com backslash the apocalypse post.